if we do not get, get what you just told, what should the people do? What should protesters on the street do? I didn't hear you. What happens? What should protesters do? Well, we, we got to stay on the street. Uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we need business. What do you think about this curfew tonight? Black people are dying. Black people are dying. Certainly Waters should answer for her words when everyone is on edge. But the irony here is just so the stench of it. Uh, Republicans like Kevin McCarthy, who has repeatedly given cover to other Republicans who have called in such explicit terms for violence. I'm thinking Marjorie Taylor Greene. I'm thinking uh, Donald Trump. The irony here is thick. And then the verdict. There's been pain and anguish, anger and frustration that is undoubtedly acutely felt by our black and brown communities. Regardless of the outcome of this trial, 
Regardless of the decision made by the jury, there is one true reality, which is that George Floyd was killed at the hands of police. Well, I'll give you that Congresswoman and Waters may have given you something on appeal that may result in this whole trial being overturned. But what's the state's position? Something extraordinary happened after the jury left to deliberate. The judge lashing out at a U.S. congresswoman, even mentioning the possibility that a verdict could be overturned in the future. Explain what happened. Wow, it was something. California Democrat Maxine Waters was with protesters in Brooklyn Center this weekend, and she said, I hope we get a verdict that's guilty, guilty, guilty. If we don't, we have to get more confrontational. The judge called that disrespectful to the rule of law, and in a surprising move, openly told the defense the comments could open the door to an appeal if Derek Chauvin is convicted and then have the whole trial overturned. And welcome back to Flavor Politic Podcast. It is the 20th. April year of our Lord 2020, and that's a really shitty intro. But are we surprised? I'm not. Good show today. A lot of ridiculousness. A little bit of the Chauvin because it closed yesterday. More lefties doing way more than Trump ever did, and he was impeached. We'll get that. A lot of outrage and awoke on the back end. First and foremost, I want to apologize for the last couple shows. I hope I fixed it today. I was mixing sound bites on my laptop, and somehow they didn't correlate down here in production. So today we're trying a different technique, smaller sound bites. And if it doesn't work, then we're going to scrap video for a while, and we're just going to do a podcast because I don't have problems with podcasts. Uh, by the views, there's way more people listening via podcast, including myself. Then the video, and uh, that means I can do the show, still have sound bites, and everything will work. So um, l- let's just get on in here. A few things up front in our cliff notes. Don't have a jingle or anything. That's a real thing. And I wanted to do it up front because when we have people literally saying a black man is part of the KKK, that pretty much says it all, okay? That says it all. I, I noticed my little thing twisted a little bit. Let's make sure we get that little fop sticker. <laughs> That's gay. That's just fucked up. So as I wanted to preface before we get into the show. I mean, that's where we're at. This is our country right now. A black man is part of the KKK because it's not really about the KKK. It's not really about racism. It's about narratives. And narratives aren't grounded in fact. They're just not. They're not. Then I want to hit the next thing. We got Antifa burning shit. You saw Portland. You saw a little bit in the intro after Andy Maxine, which we'll get to in a second. And, of course, through that you heard CNN supporting Annie Maxine. The mayor pretty much saying, uh, regardless, burn shit. That's what he's doing. Not doing any good. The judge saying Maxine's fucked up. And CNN attacking the judge. That's not even the worst sound bites. That's just a little spritz up front. But we're not covering the carnage that's everywhere already before the trial's even been decided no, we're covering the Oath Keepers, because, you know, that's that's real serious. And then my favorite story of the week. It, it took three 
months to get this. Now, now remember, the President of the United States was impeached because of this. They didn't have any murders. You had four people die. Three died of natural causes. One got shot in the face when she was standing next to four other officers. We still don't even know why, how, what was the preface. She was unarmed. They lied about, they were armed. They lied about destruction. Once again, everything, everybody went in the Capitol is wrong, but all those never Trumpers never, oh my God, this is worse than 9-11. It was all predicated on a lie so you can impeach him. That's the whole gist. And he died of a double stroke. He was never bludgeoned. So we're in the fourth month of 2021. Both reasons that Donald Trump was impeached and conservatives were for it, the media was for it, liberals were for it, are based on lies. Hunter was dealing with China and Ukraine. Donald Trump said protest peacefully. It was the worst thing ever. Anti-Maxine just said burn shit down for the fourth time. It's just all lies. Everything they do is a lie. And you wonder why people don't trust it. Buck Sexton reacts to the release of the Brian Sisnick cause of death. Catherine Heritage puts it out. The death investigation, blah, blah, blah. Cheryl Atkinson. So are you saying that poor Officer Siskin cause of death was known by at least some prior to this cremation weeks before Trump left office, but it wasn't announced or leaked for two months? Of course not narrative they still got to ring it in fences and talk about keeping the national guard and making it the green zone in baghdad because there's a bunch of 70 year old megas launching fucking rockets into the capital that's what the media says not true a two-month fishing expedition all our institutions are a joke buck sexton Anyone who tells you it takes over three months after an autopsy to figure out if someone died from a stroke is either an idiot or a liar. The information was hidden from you on purpose. Glenn Greenwell took it to the next level. Capitol officer Brian Sisson engaged in rioters, suffered two strokes and died of natural causes. Francis J. Diaz, medical examiner, said the autopsy found no evidence a 42-year-old officer suffered an allergic reaction to chemical irritants, which Diaz said would have caused his throat to quickly cease. Diaz also said there was no evidence of internal or external injuries. Period. The corporate media lies to you constantly because they only care about pleasing the political ideology ideology and flattering the preconceptions of their audience. Substack and similar platforms allow truth to be aired, which is why they hate it. There's no such thing as a noble lie, especially in journalism. This particular fabrication made its way into the impeachment trial against Trump and out of Joe Biden's mouth. It was clear from the start it was highly dubious, but few journals cared it served the purpose. I'll give an hour amnesty to all groupthink drones and corporate media who smeared everyone expressing doubts about Sisnick's fire extinguisher story as a Sisnick truther. Come forward voluntarily and honorably confront your latest in a group propaganda. And it literally shows a picture, and I won't go on because it goes on for a very long time, of that skank over on CNN wearing a Fax First shit shirt. 
Facts first shirt talking shit about people who didn't believe that the Capital Six riot, which was illegal, inappropriate, over the top, wasn't worse than Pearl Harbor. But remember, I got called a tower shooter because I didn't think it was that bad. I didn't think it was the end-all, be-all. And I actually researched what really happened. What happened? Because facts do matter. But they don't. It's all narrative as portrayed by Chris Cuomo. And you know what the answer is? You really do. You don't like it. I don't like it. It scares me. Shootings, gun laws, access to weapons. Oh, you, I know when they'll change. Your kids start getting killed. White people's kids start getting killed. Smoking that doobie that's actually legal probably in your state now, but they don't know what it was. And then the kid runs and the pop, 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 pop. Cop was justified. Why'd you run? Oh, he had a baseball game tonight. Oh, the white kid. Oh, big family. That house over there. This has become the battleground for the ugliest politics of division. I don't know if you were watching Friday night, but I said something that every one of you knows to be true. If what we're seeing in these communities were happening to kids in suburbs, to adults in suburbs, if they suffered the same fate as we see too often with these black kids, if they died in policing situations, things would change. Look at heroin, prescription opioids, meth. In poor areas, bad habits, bad families. Suburbs, we have a major crisis. We must fight addiction. Laws, legislation, help, crisis, politics. Do you know how many black girls go missing every year? They don't become household names. They're not the center of major manhunts like when they are when they're affluent whites. Even COVID, once it was ravaging middle or upper class communities, well after the poor had gotten hit and hit hard, that's when it became a crisis. It's obvious, right? No. It is only obvious for the reasonable. On the rabid right, it was weaponized as a threat, what I said. See? They want your kids to die. They want white kids to die to end policing problems. Now, look, on its face, that's absurd. I'm white. Why would I want that? But this is not about the facts. It's about fear. Can you imagine being that out of touch that you could say that stuff? Because that was the second night, the back segment. Yeah, it's about fear. You people put fear into everybody. You know, two things first, so I don't forget. This is a real thing right here that the White House is saying that Biden isn't the official spokesman for the White House. This is him with the Japanese prime minister. I just want to make sure we understand that. That double masking at dinner, I, I, I don't understand. This one we'll get to in a second, but let me let me go back to uh, FOP News. Dun, 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 dun. 
This is a man that lives in a gilded cage that lied about COVID. His brother lied about COVID. His brother was worse than Trump. His brother sexually harassed everybody. He still keeps his TV show. And he goes on TV and talks some bullshit about white people getting shot. Listen, you fucking bumbling idiot. More white kids do get shot. More white people get shot. You guys just take the black incidents and make it the biggest thing ever when it's what, in the last two years, maybe 10 incidents that were major out of millions of interactions with cops? Well, yeah, it's a problem. And and this goes back to the stuff that I keep talking about the show. When conservatives start doing the, I read Kendi X, and you start believing that, and you start getting your exposure therapy, and you start believing this bullshit, it's Always the same circumstances. A guy who beat up a woman, drive-by shooted, fucking shot somebody, beat somebody, robbed somebody. And then they make matters way worse when they decide, hey, I'm going to also resist arrest. Because that makes sense. That's what we do. And then it gets out of control. And then somebody dies or they get shot. And then we start lying and saying they're unarmed. And then we say that they're just the greatest kids ever. We show pictures of them because they're little kids and they're great kids. And they're great people. And then the truth starts coming out that they're total fucking thugs. They're horrible human beings that you really don't fucking want in your neighborhood, Chris Cuomo. And then we find out every circumstance about the shooting, about everything, is a lie. It's an outright tissue of lies. And then we freak out about people saying it is a lie. And then the official record gets smeared and buried. And then months later, we find out truths. After people have lost their fucking livelihoods, businesses have been destroyed, people have died... A hundred policemen have died this year. Sure, 50 of them are COVID. The other 50, 30 of them are assaults and shootings. Getting hit by cars. And how many people have died because of these riots already? We don't even know. Because they don't cover it. They cover Dante Wright. A guy who choked and beated a woman who resisted arrest and was accidentally shot. That's our latest rounds. And then we build over and over for media ratings, for political points. If justice isn't done the way we want it, you need to burn shit down. So much so, this is okay in our society. This is what's wrong with our society. Support all that I support them looting the, the Dollar Tree. I support the looting of uh what other did they loot? Uh like the like the advanced auto parts. Um I remember last year they t- looted Target. I support all that loot all that do you know why? Because black people and marginalized and oppressed people could loot every store in this whole country for 200 years it would not even come close to the debt that america owes up 
Understand, that's still on YouTube. That's not taken down. Every single thing Tucker says gets taken down. PragerU's taken down. Pro-life sites are taken down. Conspiracies are taken down. Jesus Christ. Donald Trump still ain't on fucking social media because he said peacefully protest. And Sisnick died. And he incited a riot. And that's all false. But yeah, she's still up. Maxine Waters, she's still up. We're not going to do anything to Maxine. Why would we? Her name's Burn It Down Kim Brown. That, that's her show. And in there, you saw uh, people fucking doing tableside BLM. That's okay. But let's look at Maxine. Just a simple article. And Maxine Waters, a Republican, she would have been impeached decades ago. Decades ago. Nancy Pelosi says no. She shouldn't say she's sorry, and she's not going to remove her. She's not going to remove her whatsoever, because why would she? Everybody in the squad can say whatever the fuck they want. They're not deplatformed, inciting violence. That woman back in the riots, which once again, those who are new to the show, I met her at the L.A. riots. It's a picture in the closing of me and the Villa La Boys with a rifle in my hand, a weapon of war. Because it was a riot. Sorry about that. But you notice we couldn't even have a magazine. Even though we got shot at. But you know, what the fuck? Why do we care? There were peaceful protesters back then too. And I met her. And she was an evil bitch. She came in a limo and watched and talked shit to people. But back then, she literally said, I'm not going to go and tell my people not to do it. They need to do it. Then she said, the, the tape we play for our This Is America, get in their face. Then she said, I take Trump out. Then she said that I'm not going to take that stuff about. She doubled down it on that racist Reed show. Then she said this. But all that, no, that's not inappropriate. That's not inciting violence. Donald Trump saying, eh, yeah, you need to peacefully protest. Let your voices be heard. He... Got Sisnik killed, bludgeoned with the fucking fire extinguisher. Nobody's retract that shit. Nobody. Because she's black. Which then brings into question systemic racism. If we have such a problem that all this BLM, Kendi X, Kim Brown, Burn It Down, Don Lemon, Joy Reid... If it's all true, how does she keep her job when she just called for violence? Literally called for violence. She's now done it numerous times in the last four years. Because she has that black protection. Which destroys the whole theory that we're a racist society. When a black politician can say basically burn it down and a white politician says peacefully protest, what the fuck? I mean, I know words don't matter. We have another section today about words. Words, facts, none of this makes sense anymore. We're upside down. But what the fuck, Chuck? I mean, it's starting to show... Hemorrhaging viewers with ratings down 54% overall, down 60% in key demographic. CNN's falling the fuck apart. Falling apart. And I want us to remember, Tucker is the worst fucking person on the planet. 
look at this. That's CNN. CNN. And then we get into this guy, Seltzer. False info, the web is propagated mainly by a relatively smaller number of super spreaders, often high-profile partisan media outlets, social media influencers, and political figures. Does he not understand that his network is a key cause of all of it? And remember, the bully pundit, that was a front page of Washington Post, more articles. The, the, Tucker Carlson is a super spreader. He's horrible. Just fucking horrible. But before we get to Seltzer, here, here's the lead talking about, oh, what about the J&J? Let's bring in CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, even if the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is ultimately deemed safe and put back on the market, this is only going to worsen vaccine hesitancy. There's no question about it. Yeah, I, I think that's that's probably safe to say. I mean, this is this is one of those challenging things. I mean, you know, I was thinking about this, Jake, the other day. If if uh, we hadn't gotten the news this way about hearing about a trial pause and sort of laying out what was going on with these patients, we just heard that a patient had died after vaccination. Uh, maybe that would have worsened hesitancy even more. You know, who knows? These are subjective things. One thing we can say is that if you look at Europe uh, with the AstraZeneca vaccine and the concern of clots over there, there was an online poll in France that showed about 20% of, of uh, in that online poll, French people uh, actually had confidence in the AstraZeneca vaccine. So greatly increased vaccine hesitancy toward that vaccine. But Jake, this is rare. This is extremely rare, and it appears to be isolated to these particular vaccines, not the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, as Nick was just mentioning. Is there a risk of this particular blood clot in COVID patients? Because I wonder if just if the the risk of getting COVID for this blood clot uh, is worse than for the J and J vaccine. Obviously, the, the risk for dying is because we know people die of COVID. Right, yeah. So, the, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. The, there is a risk of clotting. Hey, hey how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, good. Give me one second. CNN embraced Director Chester's philosophy of the news. Do you think it's going to be just like a lot of like fear? Like, climate? Yeah, fear sells. Fear sells. Does fear sell? Does Charlie Chester still employed at CNN? I feel really bad for you. Why is that? Uh, Mr. Stelzer, we have a few more questions. Do you report any news that Jeff Zucker doesn't directly tell you to report? Well, Do you have any comments? Do you use his words, propaganda? Sure. Is Charlie Chester still employed at CNN? I feel really bad for you. Why do you feel bad for me? We're journalists. Okay. Why do you feel bad for me? Are you a journalist? Are you able to report anything that's not directly handed down? I want. You need to leave. Do you want them? Okay, okay. Mr. Stelter, do you have any other comment on, sure. on Charlie Chester? Sure. This is journalist with Project Veritas trying to get comments from Brian Stelter on our recent release from Charlie Chester in the propaganda and COVID numbers to stoke uh, fear into the American people. Coming to you from New York City. How you doing today? I'm 
Murray, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I see you reporting on Twitter. Okay. Uh -oh. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. <laughs> hey, but I seen the Project Veritas hey. stuff from, from, about CNN. What do you guys think about that? Uh, Ah. Yeah, yeah, okay. No comment. <laughs> Fox in the era of President Joe Biden is a carousel of conspiracy theories and fear mongering. So, really, what I'm saying is not much has changed. But the Chirons, those headlines that you see at the bottom of your screen, they are getting noticeably more creative. Fox uses them to push their conspiracy theory that Biden is essentially senile. At least this one has the qualifier seems on it. The frail, the weak, the cognitively struggling, clearly commander-in-chief, or is he, did not do well today. Other Fox banners imply that Biden basically belongs in a home. And one of their main experts on this literally calls in from his retirement home in Florida. Another is this guy, the infamous Fox doc they have on to give a, quote, virtual medical examination. Then reaching the evidence-free conclusion that Biden is off his rocker pushes the conspiracy theory that he's a puppet of a deep state. See the question mark there. That's really just a fig leaf for a conspiracy theory. Like what? I didn't say it. I'm just asking a question. But this conspiracy theory isn't even trying to hide its identity. Yikes. Question mark? No. Just plain yikes. Fox reliably provides the public disservice of pandemic disinformation, and sometimes it uses pictures. Top health officials shown in straitjackets. These people caused needless deaths and helped fuel social unrest. One year into the pandemic, despite undeniable evidence that masks work, Fox's chief science officer, Mr. Carlson, suggests they're a national security risk with this screaming headline. When the new president marked one year of grief and loss, Fox got impatient, telling viewers Biden's taking too long. How dare the president not wrap up before the power hour of cockamamie commentary starts? They love culture wars, from Seuss and Cardi B to Mr. Potato Head, even extending the war on Christmas all the way to April by connecting the release of a rapper's Satan shoes to Easter. There's the broad, evidence-free declaration that the left is currently engaged in a race war. So, what the fuck, Chuck? In there, you have, of course, them talking about the J&J. &J. You have uh, Veritas, once again, going in there and meeting, meeting Mr. Potato Head, which I thought was pretty fucking funny. And then a guy on the street busting the journalist. Then you have the gall of CNN to talk about Chiron's. In the age of Biden, they're just too mean to them. And they're the biggest spreader of this bullshit. Look at the inlays on the latest 61% poll. 52% Dem, 43% Republican. Of course you got 61%. You waited the poll. But that's, that's, that's what we roll with now. That's journalism, man. Or excuse me, it's a 59%. 59. He went down to 59. That's our media. That's just our media. They they are fucking hot garbage fire people. They fucking suck. There's nothing we can ever do to fix it. But I'm in the wrong one. Sorry about that. I wonder why none of this shit would work. Um, I, I don't even. I don't even know. 
Back to our cliff notes, because this is what we're about to do. We're about to do that. Postal Service is awesome. We love the Postal Service. AOSA makes the progressive case for expanding USPS. But of course, leftist SPLC president attacks so-called right-wing extremism. I just like carrying that because I already told you it's a bullshit group. U.S. pressuring Israel to stop commenting on Iran because he's so anti-Semitic it makes me want to vomit. I mean, yeah, there it is. And then a couple of my favorites. Generous with your money, Milano, Handler, Ruffalo demand slavery reparations. So then the House Judiciary Committee to vote on creating slavery reparation commission to address deep seated racism chaired by Maxine Waters. Yeah. Yeah, that that's good shit. That's good shit. Let let's let's see how bad we're getting, okay? We're going to go through some just general shit because what is the deep seated racism? Is this racism? Portland police shot a person in Lentz Park in southeast Portland just after 9.30 a.m. on Friday. Police confirmed that the victim, a white man who has not been identified, died at the scene. They deleted it. We included information in an earlier tweet about why we identified the victim a race that was poorly worded. It was not intended to minimize what happened, only to provide context. We generally do not identify race in news stories, but often do when reporting police shootings. Of course we do. Because we want the ratings. And in this case, we didn't want you to burn shit down. But that's just some sawed-off bullshit right there because they do include race when it's black. Got to get that shit fired up. Here's some quick hits. That just There it is. Minneapolis City Council has voted 11-1 to oppose use of tear gas, so you can guarantee your riot's going to be extra salty this time. Americans, congratulations. This is a uh, MSDNC editor uh, or producer. We have now lived through a depression, a devastating pandemic, and an attempt to authoritarian take over your country. You are now officially tough as fuck. How about a fascist takeover? We're living that right now. This is a one from the other day, and I didn't want to miss it before we move on to guns. It's wrong to pull troops out of Afghanistan, but we can minimize it. I want you to look at where this lady works. Raytheon. Interesting. Making money off it. And then we have seventh generation. A really shitty cleaning product group. This is where our companies are. There's two reasons they're like this. Number one, they don't want their shit burned down. They don't want the Twitter bomb. But number two, as I've been doing a lot of research lately, watching a lot of different things, every person that goes to an Ivy League school and then goes on to be a CEO has been indoctrinated in America is a garbage. We are the shithole. The rest of the world isn't the shithole. And they believe this critical race stuff. I want, I'm not going to read it. I am just going to expand it and give you time to read this. Why is a shitty cleaning product company even talking about this?
divest. They support defunding the police. As we started with Sisnik, every fucking thing the left talks about, the media puts out, is based on a lie. Black and brown people aren't being killed by the police more than white people. Black and brown people are being killed by black and brown people at alarming rates. And nobody talks about that. Nobody even cares about that. If facts don't matter, words don't matter, none of this matters. You can't have a society. You can't have a society based on intersectionality, feelings, and agenda. It won't work. But our media, I'm making it the jerk off of the week. They want to take your guns and leave you in your house and let the mob rule. Might have prompted action from Congress, but it didn't by and large. There were some changes around the margins. Does anything change with this president? Is there any room for growth? Is there any room for movement on the question of gun safety? I don't I don't think so. It's this is not a problem on the Democratic side of the aisle, Willie. This is a problem on the Republican side of the aisle. Hard stop. And so and the way things are are, are work in Washington and and look, when you're going to deal with the gun issue, this isn't something you want to do with one party. Uh, And so I do think there is a hesitance there. And look, there's not complete unanimity about how to deal with this on the in the Democratic side of the aisle. So, look, I think if you're looking for movement, you have to see what are the chances of movement on the Republican side of the aisle. And if you think about the last decade, Willie, you know, um, I, you know, to me, it's very jarring that the Indianapolis happened essentially on the anniversary of Virginia Tech. Mm. Virginia Tech, which was 2007, a massacre of 32 people. We thought, oh, my God, there was nothing like it at the time. Right. Sadly, it's not even in our top 10 anymore, I think. Or, it, it, you know, it's, it's like falling down the list and you just sit there. And re- Republicans are now repealing permits for handguns in a lot of states, Willie. That used to not be controversial. So the debate is so radicalized and shifted on one side of the aisle. I don't see where you find any sort of ability to to change this. So we've told you the numbers. In fact, the U.S. leads the world in mass shootings. But why? Today is the 58th anniversary of Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail. It's his anniversary today of that letter he penned. And one of the things he said was injustice anywhere, injustice any place is a justice every injustice every place and one of the other things it's not often quoted that he said which goes i think to this point of why we're not getting anything done which he said using immoral means to attain moral ends is wrong but as wrong or even more wrong is using moral means to preserve immoral ends well, let me just say, Casey, you're absolutely right. There are not only the families grieving, but you can imagine as these images are on loop and they're kind of layered on top of each other, you have to imagine communities, black folk around the country, 
terrorized in interesting sorts of ways and problematic ways by having to see these images over and over again. Not only because they're horrific, but because they, they generate an occasion for us to worry about our own family members, about our own lives, about our children, our husbands, our wives, our aunts, our mothers, our fathers, that sort of thing. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that we have to understand that for generation, for a generation, that the age of Reagan was defined by a form of policing black and brown communities that had violence at its core. We thought of these folks as super predators. We thought of tough on crime as the way in which we modeled it. Remember the black box in Chicago emerges out of this framework. You think about ramparts in, in Los Angeles. You think about the very ways in which our communities have been perceived to justify this form of policing. So we have to, in some ways, Casey, just very quickly, challenge the underlying assumptions You've about got the floor, Eddie, as far as I'm and surveilling. <laughs> containing and surveilling and incarcerating black folk. So a lot to unpack there. You know, Chuck Todd, an extremist on one side of the aisle. That's how it's always portrayed. Not how far they want to go with guns and all the crazy things they want to do. The disputed claim that we have the most mass shootings by CNN. Uh, A white guy, once again, quoting Martin Luther King. You can do that when you're a liberal, but you can't do that when you're conservative. And then the closing of just inappropriately, totally factually incorrect, the incarceration of black and brown people. Proportionally, since you guys do everything proportionally and we do play math, we believe in math, we don't believe in biology. Proportionally, black people commit more crime than their white counterparts. That's just, that's the reality. And we spend most of our time being told over and over and over and over. It's so horrible that black families have to have the talk. Where it's clearly obvious you're not doing the talk right. Because in every one of these cases, the talk leads to a black kid ignoring police instruction. I'm still seeing people on the TV talking about the lieutenant in the U.S. Army who got pepper sprayed, and how horrible that was. Well, here's the reality. If you didn't get rid of live PD, you know that's a felony stop. When you don't get out of the car, felony stop. When you live stream and argue, felony stop. They're going to use the amount of force to get control of you because they don't know what you have in your vehicle or on your person or if you're wanted or what is going on. You're getting pulled over. They run your background, find out what you are, who you are, what are your wants and warrants. But in our community, why would we say facts when we have this? Somebody data breaches, finds out, and now we're doxing individuals who donated to Kyle Rittenhouse. That's just a horrible thing. We find out police departments are now crushing people because they donated we donated to stuff there's no donating unless you're the vice president you can donate or if you're the Biden administration clearing remaining federal charges against Portland rioters most get probation and community service 70 year olds are still in prison For January 6th. Still there. 
for trespassing. We're talking people that firebomb shit. It's still happening. Looted, beat, murdered. You cannot live in a society with two laws. Talking about Kyle Rittenhouse, the media was up in arms that a person's out there with the weapon of war defending businesses. Group of armed black civilians now working to keep peace in Brooklyn Center, Minneapolis, following anti-fascist riots. See, I have no problem with it. I don't give a shit. But I do care that the media won't cover it. Uh, Ray finally admit to House Intel Committee that Antifa's movement with local and regional nodes who commit violent attacks. Because we lied about that over and over and over and over and over and over that it's just an idea because we wanted those brown shirts. They still want those brown shirts. Those brown shirts put fear in people. Do what we say. There's a Debbie Wasserman Schultz line that's out there talking about the subtle Nazism that's led to the Holocaust and that it's in the Republican Party. No, it's not. It's in the Democratic Party. You have a fascist problem. You are... Sorry, I'm freezing my nuds off. It's 30 degrees outside. Some kind of spring. You nuggets are the fascists. You've always been the fascists. And then when we have incidents, it sure looks like CBS News edited body cam footage to omit a key frame in the Adam Toledo shooting. They sure the fuck did, and so did everybody else. Media don't want to cover this one. Breonna Taylor's mother claimed BLM Louisville is a fraud that exploited her daughter's death. Finally. After editing it out off our last show... CNN decides to cover their crew getting beat up. And what do they do? They cover for them simultaneously while they're already doxing the jury in the Chauvin case. Access to their devices. Do you have any sense from covering this from the beginning, from being in the courtroom on a couple of days, uh, whether the jury is aware of the powder keg and the significance uh, around this trial, or the, the eyes of the world, the, the larger meaning of what's at stake here in court? Well, they've been keeping the jury very tight together uh, as they're coming in and out of court. So we know that there's a tunnel system underneath the government center, and they've been bringing the jurors up through that. The only time the jurors have been seen within the government center is when they have lunch, which is in the basement of the cafeteria. Other than that, we got a list of all 14 jurors, uh, their ages, what they had written on some of their statements that they provided to the court before they were selected as jurors. So what we know from that, and that's really the only information besides being in the courtroom that I can, can give to you, is that from those statements that they provided the court, there's at least one juror who lives in Brooklyn Center near where Dante Wright Hmm. was shot and killed by police just last week. And we know that there are a few other jurors, according to Eric Nelson, uh, who wanted wanted the jury sequestered immediately when that shooting happened in Brooklyn Center, is that there are at least two or three other jurors. Uh, There was a a video shared on Twitter uh, of a water bottle being thrown at your crew uh, on one occasion. This seems like it was pro 
protesters trying to uh, trying to create trouble. This was a story that went viral in right wing media. Frankly, they claim CNN was covering it up, which is ridiculous. But but tell us what happened. Tell us what happened, Miguel. Yeah, it was, it was no cover up. There was a lot of things happening at Brooklyn Center Police Station. There was the main body of protesters that were holding a rally and sort of focused on the you know, eyes on the prize and focused on what they wanted to do. There were a few protesters at the gates to the police station yelling at the police. And then we there also then there was the phalanx of uh, law enforcement behind the gates. And we wanted to sort of show all of that in our live shots and tell people what was kind of going on there. Uh, we even moved because some protesters didn't want to be on camera, so we moved to accommodate them. Then another smaller group of protesters came around and started sort of shouting us down. They had a loudspeaker, they were trying to shout us down. They wanted us, they wanted us to move to a place where we couldn't see the protesters that were taunting the police. Uh, and that's when this water bottle gets thrown at one of our, our guys. He stumbled back, fell over, tripped over a curb, but it heightened everything at that point. We started trying to figure out how to make an exit because it was just getting too intense there, but we didn't want to look like we were running. That's when somebody hit me with a water bottle and then we sort of just started moving toward our cars. They continued to sort of pelt us with whatever they could find. Uh, we got in the car and we took off. I, I, I cannot blame them for being angry, but you know, a lot of people are very angry, suspicious of the press, the corporate media, all those things come into it at these places. And uh, it was just one of those situations that it was intense. There were people who were angry at everything and everybody, and we happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. The wrong place at the wrong time. Why is CBS saying the races of everybody? You know these people are going to get doxxed. If we're doxxing people who donated $10 to Kyle Rittenhouse, while we're not reporting that black people are doing the same thing right now, why would we? And you can't even verify... Are they a news agency or not? You get attacked by the mob. You don't report it for days. Then you excuse it. You report that the Capitol was a riot while everything all summer and what's going on right now is peaceful protesting. You lie about an officer getting killed. You lie about everything and then four months later, you decide to tell the truth. You can't have two realities. And more importantly, you can't have people on TV saying this. Congressman, we can't wait for people to leave and then hope that maybe it's going to get better. How can Congress strike some sort of an effective balance, try to bring both sides of the gun debate and achieve Gun safety measures, not gun takeaway measures, gun safety measures to prevent more mass shootings. 20 toddlers were killed. I can't even uh, stand it. 20 toddlers were killed, and it was still uh, a bill that did not pass, right? Yeah. Honestly, what we need to do, the Republican Party is broken. They're never going to pass any gun legislation. We need to either do two things, elect more Democrats so we can actually pass legislation, which we have at the House, and then we need to make sure that we pass legislation in the Senate. And that's by reforming the filibuster, getting more Democrats in there, and and just pushing this through. Republicans are a broken party. They're never going to support gun reform. The fact that we have to have this argument all the time. And by the way, again, the media perpetuates this. Like, well, why why don't both sides come together? Like, there is one side that wants to come together, and there's the other side that likes the obstruction and would rather see our Americans murdered every day instead of actually trying to come up with a bipartisan compromise. 
327 times the left's used the filibuster. Republicans have used it once. Could a Republican get on TV and say that kind of stuff? And they don't want to just take a few guns. They want you gunless because they're the fascists. They don't want people to be able to think for themselves, defend themselves. That's not the liberal way. And the media is so all in on it. Did you hear about this one? Ohio man arrested in Times Square with an unloaded semi-automatic rifle, ammunition, and a gas mask. Jesus Christ, he's probably a two percenter. (laughs) Or three percenter, or whatever. Oath Keeper! Proud boy! No, his name's Sadiq Joven Teague. That's why you didn't hear about it. FedEx gunman. FedEx shooter ID as 19-year-old Brandon Scott Hole. Hole and his potential for violence was known to local and federal authorities. The FBI did nothing to stop him. That's the second shooting this year that they knew about, investigated, and let it go. Yeah. Makes sense. BLM protesters rally for victim. Learn it's a white guy and leave. That happened in Minneapolis. So it's clearly not about anything. Lauren Coates. And I didn't bookmark this one. I wish I would have. But this is another problem with the system. Defense begins the closing by defining reasonable doubt. Not with why Chauvin is innocent. Think about that. Yeah, let's think about that. That's our legal system. You don't have to prove you're innocent. You have to. Pr- the prosecution has to prove within a reasonable doubt that you did a crime. That's our entire legal system since we became a country. But they don't want that. As I saw on a show last night, Maxine Waters, most of the left, Nancy Pelosi, the media, they would be just fine if January 6th, they took everybody in the Capitol, took them outside and put them up against the wall and did a firing squad. They'd be just fine with that. Those are the people they want to replace with illegals. Or whatever, we're calling them something else. We even got drone policies now. Yeah. To that one trial, Jamie uh, Lucas reports on the makeup of the 14 jurors in the Derek Chauvin trial. At least one of them lives in Brooklyn Center where Dante Wright was finally shot. And the entire world said what I said. What the fuck is wrong with you? Are you trying to get people killed? Yeah. To the previous tweet, of course the race hustler extraordinaire, Chauvin's lawyer, said it files a face of common sense to say Floyd's death was not caught at least in part by underlying condition of drug use. This argument is a direct contradiction to the prosecution case which says, believe your eyes, Chauvin's knee killed Floyd. His knee didn't kill Floyd. But that's Yamichiel Cinder when we're so part of it. And then the most incredible thing is before the case is done, they're doing the defense arguments. Reverend Al Sharpton headed to Minneapolis to stand with the Floyd family as closing arguments are set to be made today as he's getting on a private fucking jet. Private jet. He is the green guy now, somehow, they say. 
The green guy. You can't have a country like this. We don't have two rules where people storm the Capitol and go to jail forever and we throw out the key. Some of them getting beaten and having broken faces, which isn't being reported, based on a lie that a cop was bludgeoned with a fucking fire extinguisher that we suppressed for four months so we can impeach a president on a faulty premise while a congresswoman could go around and say way worse shit and get away with it. Also impeaching a president on the fact that he was right, Hunter Biden did do something. We can't have a country like this. You can't release... All these thugs that are beating, looting, and burning as the Biden administration is doing and keep others locked up for doing way less. You can't impeach somebody for saying something that's way less. You can't have a system like this. You can't continually go on the air and fucking lie and go factually incorrect conversations every day. And you, you, the last sound I just played is perfect. That's a Democrat. They don't give a fuck about Floyd. They don't give a fuck about anybody who gets shot. They care about power. They just want to run everything. Democrats are the only party that get all power and they're still angry. They're still mad because they don't have enough. Because they're children. They believe they are the ones that should fucking run your life. Down to what you eat, how you fuck what you drive, what you think, and what you speak. And when you don't do it, their fascist ass suppress you, jail you, remove your guns, make laws that are unconstitutional. The Constitution don't mean nothing because the Constitution is racist. The only thing that isn't racist is the fact that we need 13 fucking goddamn Supreme Court justices, which is from fucking Civil War, when everything else is racist, but that's not racist. And it's all predicated, Dennis in New York, Lincoln Project, all predicated truly on the fact that people wanted to vote for somebody you didn't like and were portrayed as a bunch of Nazi house-storming, tower-shooter, kid-killing pieces of shit. But nine times out of ten, we're just this guy. Racist most really evil beliefs of Republicans and anyone like this, then we will live to repeat the discrimination and persecution of minorities or people who are deemed other in the future. Mm, Good to see she hasn't changed a thing. And by a thing, I mean whatever's sleeping on her head. (laughs) So... Why are we calling people Klansmen and Nazis? Methinks it's not to engage in debate, but to move it away from words to sticks. And if you disagree, you're probably in the Klan. And if you find that disgusting, you're, you're, you're a Nazi. A phrase overused more than I love bacon. <laughs> and why? Because apparently we're a nation of angry white males, just like this one. <laughs> Oh, hey, just adjusting my American flag. Sometimes it gets tangled in the wind. You know, I was just reading the other day in the New York Times about this project. It said our country was founded on the ideals of oppression. I don't know. I look at the flag and I think of what it represents. 
one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I really believe those words. I know it's comedy, but that's what we're talking about. Everything he said in there is now off limits. It's horrible. The New York Times is validated with the 1619 Project. Every major college, every major corporation, every major media, never Trumpers. They've all bought into this. You're an evil person if you believe in the founding principles of our country. Meritocracy, justice for all, that everybody has an opportunity to be somebody. You know, I'm a just a loser in a basement, unemployed. But you know, I made something myself in the military. I made myself something in the business community. I'd still be doing it if it wasn't for the Obama administration and their stupid fucking frivolous cases against gun-type things. Because that's what was the major thing. Google didn't like us. This was years ago. We have a problem in the country. There is a fascist group that has taken over. They have corporate sponsorship. They own the media like Mao, North Korea, and Pravda wish they had. And all they do is put out lies. So that guy, the normal, white, middle class. It doesn't have to be white. It could be black, Chinese, Venusian. It doesn't matter. If you believe any of those things... You're out. There's justice for you. But there's justice for nobody on their side. There's no justice. They, they can just do whatever they want. Politicians, media, hood rats, looters, burners, Antifa, BLM. It's non-fucking-stop. So, uh, let's get woke. Turn it up! And even the copy machine paper is white. Excuse me. This, my friend, is a white devil's conspiracy. Me, So a critique, though, from the left that would say, um, if you are a trained Marxist, if we're talking about a certain kind of radical politic, that extravagant homes of any sort or multiple properties of any sort is itself contradictory to the ideology that you hold. And so it's not about having money per se, but that it's about uh, or about property per se, but it's about there being a potential contradiction between your express politics and your lived practice. Sure. And I think that is a critique that is um, wanting. And I say that because um, the, the, the way that I live my life is in direct support to Black people, including my Black family members, uh, first and foremost. And uh, for so many Black folks who 
are able to invest um, in them. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Department of the Interior's virtual forum on federal oil and gas program. My name is Connie Gillette, and I will be the moderator for today's event. Before we begin, I want to let participants know on this call that this forum is being recorded. There will be live captions available throughout the duration of the event. And now it is my great honor to introduce the Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, to give opening remarks. Madam Secretary, you may turn your camera on. Thank you, Connie. Thank you so much. And good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining this public forum. I know people are tuning in from all over the country, which, which speaks to the importance of this issue. There is no doubt that oil, gas, and coal energy from our public lands and ocean has helped build our economy and power our nation. Fossil fuels will continue to play a major role in America for years to come. But too often, the extraction of resources has been rushed to meet the false urgency of political timetables, rather than with careful consideration for the impacts of current or future generations. During the past four years, the Trump administration offered vast swaths of our public lands and waters for drilling, prioritizing fossil fuel development above all other uses on public lands and waters. The potential impacts to people, water, wildlife, and climate were deliberately ignored, something the courts continue to address. While some corporations profited, taxpayers were shortchanged, and some Americans' voices were not heard. An act now think later approach to managing our public lands and waters hasn't worked well. Not for the communities who live with the legacies of pollution, not for the coal and oil workers whose jobs and benefits are being cut, not for the local state, local and tribal governments who struggle to pay teachers and firefighters when the market drops, not for the tribal nations who are consulted too little and too late on projects that impact their communities for a very long time, and certainly not for the sustainability of our country and our planet. In order to tackle the climate crisis and strengthen our nation's economy, we must manage our lands and waters and resources, not just across fiscal years, but across generations. Now is the time for all of us to have a frank conversation about the future of our shared resources. I'll not pretend that this moment of reflection will be easy, or that we have all the right answers, but I can promise you that I'll listen to you, I'll be honest and transparent throughout this process. The pause in new oil and gas lease sales gives us space to look at the federal fossil fuel programs that haven't been meaningfully examined or modernized in decades. I want to be clear that the pause on new oil and gas lease sales does not impact permitting and development on valid existing leases. Further, oil and gas companies have amassed thousands of permits to drill on 38 million acres of public lands and oceans, an area larger than the state of Iowa. Today and over the coming weeks and months, we will look forward to hearing from you about our path forward. We're exploring ideas that leaders from both parties have brought forward to rethink how we manage energy and minerals on our public lands. We also continue, we'll also continue to meet with governors on both sides of the aisle, hearing from Congress and engaging in consultation with tribal nations. 
President Biden's agenda demonstrates that America's public lands and oceans can and should be engines for local economies. We recognize that energy companies are innovating to tackle climate change and stay globally competitive. We know how to create more good paying union jobs through clean energy production. We can put people to work, restoring our lands and waters through a civilian climate core. And we can ensure that communities have the right tools and resources to support families that have been hurt by the oil and coal busts. My ancestors made subtle but constant changes century after century to how they farmed and cared for the land because they knew it was their obligation to leave a sustainable planet to me and to all of us. We too must take a longer view. Right now, more than ever, we need hopeful, practical, and honest thinking about our public lands and waters. I look forward to working with you, including federal, state, local, and tribal leaders to bring a measure of common purpose to how we manage America's public lands and waters and the oil, gas, and minerals they hold for all Americans. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Secretary Holland. It's terrific to see you in that beautiful office. Um, appreciate you welcoming us all to the forum today. I know that you've got to leave us to get to another event. You're, you're double booked, um, but we're so honored uh, you could be here with us at the beginning. Thank you again. Hi, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Laura Daniel Davis, and I recognize that I live and work within the ancestral lands of the Anacostans in the Anacostia and Potomac River watersheds. I acknowledge the place-based knowledge of these peoples, and I'm grateful for their ancestral and current stewardship of these lands. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for Land and Minerals Management here at the Department of the Interior. I wanna first say thank you to all the experts that are participating today. And thank you also to all those who are watching as we talk about the federal oil and gas program and gain insight to inform our comprehensive review. We're committed to moving forward in a productive and transparent manner with all of our partners. For us at Interior, President Biden's commitment to tackle the climate change threat is the thread that runs through all of our efforts. Like the secretary said, our principal charge is to manage our lands, waters, and resources, not merely across the fiscal years, but across generations. And I'd add explicitly for the next generations. I know that comment about the uh, fiscal year resonates for those of us who live in fiscal year time in and around Washington. In my role here, I oversee the agency's oil and gas leasing and permitting programs, as many of you are probably aware. We are tasked within the framework of Executive Order 14008 to conduct a comprehensive review of federal oil and gas permitting and leasing practices across public lands and in offshore waters. The executive order directs the Department of the Interior to pause new oil and gas leasing on public lands and offshore waters, as the Secretary mentioned, concurrent with this comprehensive review of the federal oil and gas program. The targeted pause, I want to reiterate, does not impact existing operations or permits for valid existing leases, which are continuing to be reviewed and approved. The order does not restrict energy activities 
on private or state lands or lands that the United States holds in trust or restricted status for tribes or individual Indians. The federal oil and gas programs account for nearly a quarter of all U.S. greenhouse gas emissions and are thus a major contributor to the climate challenge. Through our review, we're seeking to restore balance on public lands and waters, create jobs, and provide a path that can align the management of America's public lands and waters with our nation's climate, conservation, and clean energy goals. We're facing serious challenges onshore in the form of the contribution of fossil fuel development to climate change, including methane emissions from operations and addressing idled and orphaned wells. In addition, we have royalty rates that have not been increased in more than a century and bonding rates that were set in the middle of the last century. In the offshore program, we also need to ensure that we're driving down emissions, protecting marine life, and that the program serves the interests of taxpayers. We think there are a number of ways that the fossil fuel leasing program can better meet the needs of the American public which has clear expectations on how we should be managing our shared public lands and waters. Through this review and in how we do our work, we think that we can ensure greater equity, transparency, and public involvement, shore up our environmental review processes, provide a fair return to the American taxpayer, and be sure that we're protecting the special and sacred places that we hear about from so many. These are some of the things that we're looking at in our review. We're very interested in your thoughts on solutions and improvements to the program. While we're undertaking this review, we're welcoming input. We're engaging in extensive public outreach as part of the comprehensive review, and that includes this public forum. We've announced too the opportunity for any interested members of the public or stakeholder communities, and we hope there will be many to provide written input to the department through April 15th. Feedback from the public is really critical to the success of this review, and we encourage members of the public to submit substantive ideas to address these issues we're gonna be discussing at energyreview.ios.doi.gov. I do wanna say just one further word about the feedback you may decide to provide. We don't really need volume. We're not looking for volume. We really want your substantive and innovative thinking on the issues we're talking about today and your considered recommendations for us. Additionally, we'll continue to conduct individual and small group meetings as well as tribal consultation and engagement with governors and members of Congress. This effort will be comprehensive and will be critically important in informing an interim report this summer. I really wanna thank everyone again for being with us and I'm gonna ask Nada Culver, the Deputy Director of BLM, to pick up here. Good morning, um, I'm Nada Culver, the Deputy Director of Policy and Programs at the Bureau of Land Management. My pronouns are she and her, and I recognize that I live and work within the ancestral lands of the Cheyenne and Ute people. I acknowledge the place-based knowledge of these people, and I'm grateful for their ancestral and current stewardship of these lands. Today, I'm going to provide a brief overview of the Bureau of Land Management's onshore oil and gas leasing program, both the manner in which these lands are leased and developed and the financial returns that our program yields. 
I'm going to go through much of this quickly to set the stage for the input from the panelists. And of course, as you've heard, this forum will be available online should you want to watch this PowerPoint again or just spend some time with our beautiful pronghorn antelope here. Also, I am sitting in Colorado and I know we have panelists and participants from Colorado as well. Many of us here are struggling with the events of the last few days. And I really wanna thank you all for spending time with us still here today. Next slide, please. Just to reiterate the context of our forum today, uh, we are operating under executive order 14008 issued on January 27th regarding tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad. As Laura mentioned, um, this executive order directed us to conduct a comprehensive review and reconsideration of the federal oil and gas leasing and permitting practices to look at the potential climate and impacts on these programs, and also specifically to look at potential adjustments of the royalty rates to ensure a fair return to taxpayers. And as noted, this order does not restrict energy activities on tribal lands. Next slide, please. This map shows you the federal lands and mineral estate. The Bureau of Land Management manages approximately 245 million surface acres shown here in yellow, as well as 700 million acres of the mineral estate. That's about 30% of our nation's minerals. Next slide, please. This is the legal framework for BLM's onshore oil and gas leasing program, also known as the parade of acronyms. Luckily for all of you, there will not be a test later on these acronyms, but we will use them throughout the presentation. The Mineral Leasing Act of 1920 established the authority for leasing federal fluid minerals and initial royalty rate, rentals, and other terms. The National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA, requires the Bureau of Land Management to look at environmental consequences to air, water, wildlife, wilderness, communities, environmental justice, and our climate, just to name a few, to engage the public and to consider alternatives prior to approving proposed actions. This law, in terms of both the uh, scope of our environmental review and the opportunities for public engagement, have led to um, most of the litigation around this program and resulted in some holds on our current leasing guidance. The Federal Land Policy and Management Act, or FLIPMA, establishes BLM's obligation to manage the public lands under the principles of multiple use and sustained yield, including for future generations. While energy development is one of the multiple uses, it is not elevated above others in this our governing law. Federal Onshore Oil and Gas Leasing Reform Act, or FUGLORA, directs the BLM to hold competitive lease sales at least quarterly for lands that are both eligible and available for leasing. The National Defense Authorization Act of 2014 permitted us to hold online auctions in addition to the in-person auction we've been holding. And the Naval Petroleum Reserves Production Act governs planning and leasing in the nation's National Petroleum Reserves, which includes the National Petroleum Reserve Alaska managed by BLM. Next slide, please. BLM's lands and resources, including the oil and gas that we manage across the nation are managed under approximately 150, 150 resource management plans, or RMPs. These are required by FLIPMA and direct the BLM to manage, again, pursuant to multiple use and sustained yield, trying to balance resource use and protection and conservation. RMPs are the basis for all resource allocations, including oil and gas, and will identify 
lands as open or closed to leasing, as well as various degrees of detail on how subsequent oil and gas development can occur. Currently, most lands that are not legally required to be closed are open for oil and gas leasing under our RMPs. As a reminder, tribal lands are managed by the Bureau of Indian Affairs and lands in the National Petroleum Reserve Alaska are subject to a different legal scheme for planning. Next slide, please. The BLM's leasing process, the onshore leasing process under the Mineral Leasing Act can, consists of three steps, nominations, evaluation, and sales. Nominations or expressions of interests are informal requests for, lease, for lands to be included in leases. At the evaluation stage, parcels are looked at to consider whether they're available and also to address environmental impacts. Lease sales are first held as a competitive sale as required by Food and Wealth. However, parcels that are not sold are available for non-competitive sales for two years after each sale. This is essentially an over-the-counter transaction. The successful bidder gains the exclusive right to develop the minerals and leases are issued for a 10-year initial term, which may be extended by production. Tribal lands are leased by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And again, leasing in Alaska in the National Petroleum Reserve follows slightly different regulations. Next slide, please. Once a lease is obtained, an operator has to submit an application for permit to drill before drilling will be approved on the lease. At this point, conditions of approval are applied to govern development. This can require surveys to identify resources and will also identify measures to avoid or minimize harm to those resources. Initial NEPA analysis may be conducted at this stage, although BLM may also apply categorical exclusions from NEPA review or use determinations of NEPA adequacy instead. All development must comply with applicable laws and regulations, such as the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, the Clean Water and Clean Air Act, the National Historic Preservation Act, and the Endangered Species Act, just to name a few. The graph here shows APDs approved versus APDs received for fiscal years 2016 through 2020. In fiscal year 2016, approximately 2,500 applications for permit to drill were received, and less than 2,000 were approved. In contrast, in fiscal year 2017, less than 3,000 APDs were received, but more than 3,000 were approved. Beginning in, 20, in fiscal year 2018 and continuing through 2020, the number of APDs approved um, was less than the amount of APDs received. However, throughout this time, there have remained thousands of approved and available permits. As of the end of January of this year, more than 7,600 APDs have been approved and are currently remaining available for use in drilling. At the same time, just over 5,300 APDs have been received and are pending processing and will be added to this total. Next slide, please. The environmental review process for oil and gas leasing and development is multifaceted and so includes opportunities for input and coordination with tribes, local governments, federal and state agencies, and the public at various times. BLM's land use planning process provides for public and government engagement throughout the process at required comment periods and consultations. At the leasing phase, there may be public comment on BLM's environmental analysis, although it is not currently required on all aspects of sales. And there is an opportunity to submit a formal administrative process. There have been variations over the years on how the public 
tribes, agencies, and local governments have been able to participate in this process under BLM's guidance, leading to some legal challenges along the way. At the permitting stage, the BLM posts the APD for 30 days online and may, but may not, provide an opportunity for comment. Next slide, please. Some of the key terms that govern onshore leasing and development include these. The bonus bid, which is a minimum of $2 an acre. For non-competitive leases, there is no bonus bid paid, just a rental fee of $1.50 an acre. Rents are paid until production of paying quantities, at which point royalties are paid instead. For the first five years of a lease, rent is $1.50 an acre. And after that, for the next six to 10 years, it goes up to, yes, $2 an acre. And notably, there are not a lot of other items you can purchase for this price in this day and age. The royalty rate was set at 12.5% in the Mineral Leasing Act of 1920, over 100 years ago. While this is set as a minimum in our regulations, the Bureau of Land Management does not generally apply any different rate. A higher rate is used in NPRA resales. Royalties once received, approximately a half of those are shared with the states in which development is occurring. Minimum bond amounts were set um, generally in the 1950s and 60s for reclamation bonds, which are issued to bond for reclamation of a well after use is completed, are set at individual wells for $10,000 set in 1960. For all the wells in a state, $25,000 set in the 1950s. And for all the wells you might care to drill nationwide, $150,000, again, set in the 1950s, and yes, this is less than the amount required to register your car um, for insurance in most states. Next slide, please. I want to close out with a snapshot of the program as it exists right now. You can see that as of fiscal year 2020, we have 37,496 leases um, on 26.6 million acres. Less than half of those are currently in production, 12.7 million acres with 13.9 million acres not in production. We have over 96,000 active federal wells and the program contributes 7% of domestically produced oil and 8% of domestically produced natural gas. Through fiscal year 2020, we've received over $3.46 billion in revenues, including royalties, bonus bids, and rentals. As you can see from these statistics, the vast majority of income does come from royalties paid on producing leases. In fiscal year 2019, we estimated $71.5 billion of economic activity associated with the program and that it generated 318 or supported 318,000 jobs. Next slide, please. Because the executive order 14008 directed a review of the entire federal oil and gas program, we and our panelists today will be looking at opportunities for improvement holistically. And so we're going to leave the land and head offshore, and I'm going to hand this over to Amanda Lefton, the Director of the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, to discuss offshore. And I look forward to hearing um, the panelists' presentation going forward. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Nada. My name is Amanda Lefton. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the Director of the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. I recognize that I live and work within the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee and Mohican peoples. I acknowledge the place-based um, 
uh, place-based knowledge of these peoples and I'm grateful for their ancestral and current stewardship of these lands. Next slide, please. So in this brief presentation, I intend to provide an overview of BOEM, which is again, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, BOEM's role in leasing and permitting in order to provide context for some key questions we hope to explore today as we work towards achieving the goals of, that President Biden laid out in Executive Order 14008, tackling the climate crisis and abroad. So really, we're going to focus today on our overview of the offshore oil and gas leasing program. Next slide, please. So first, let me start with what BOEM is. So BOEM's mission is to manage the development of the U.S. Outer Continental Shelf, which I'll call OCS going forward manage the Outer Continental Shelf OCS energy and mineral resources in an environmentally and economically responsible way. And so that means that we have really a broad area of responsibility that primarily includes managing offshore oil and gas exploration, development of activities on the OCS, overseeing the development of renewable energy resources in federal waters, managing non-energy minerals, primarily sand and gravel, and ensuring that science-based environmental protection is at the forefront of our decision-making. As we seek to review the offshore federal leasing program in a comprehensive way, as envisioned in the order, we will primarily consider the world. So that is literally, and let me get, let me get straight. That's uh, the fucking interior starting with a land acknowledgement and sharing preferred pronouns. Tucker Carlson played a video of employees at the Department of the Interior announcing their pronouns in Zoom calls. I don't think I've ever seen that. Where Was there a land acknowledgement? Yeah, 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 there was. Because yeah, that's, that's what we want our government to do. Hmm. My favorite, though, of all this, of course, is that little thing where Lamont Hill brings on the BLM racist and she goes on a screed about... Yeah, you're still racist because I'm just taking care of my family. Like you do, but you're a racist. So I can spend all that money that corporations gave me. And if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. That's pretty much how it all worked out. It's, it's fucking amazing. This stuff is just so good. It is so fucking great. But if we think it just restricts to just that, that that's another government, Transgender 101 with a Charlotte climber, a dude. Yeah. But this is my favorite. Anna Pressler, or Presley, you can't be anti-racist if you're anti-student debt cancellation. 11 days till rent is due again. It's past time to cancel rent and mortgage payments. We're dealing with a crisis within a crisis within a crisis and 30% of folks with an X, because we put an X on things, that makes it woke. In Maine, or M-A, yeah, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, I'm sorry, have missed a rent or mortgage payment during the pandemic. Cancel rent and mortgage payments and protect our community from mass evictions. Rent's due today. Thousands of families are in crisis. Cancel rent and mortgage. Cancel rent. Eviction moratoriums are enough. I mean, there's multiple. Watch the free beacon. Progressive Congresswoman Anna Presley has called rent cancellation legislation literally a matter of life and death at the same time. She keeps on getting her money. 
off her properties. Does that surprise anybody? Anybody? I mean, come the fuck on. Does that surprise anybody? No. Why would it? That's who they are. None of these people, even her, a fucking, fucking seven black belt jujitsu racist. Not a race hustler. She's a racist who's accepted our society. Can go fuck yourself. It's just like Maxine. Go fuck yourself. We have systemic racism where black women are kept down by Pac. But you could be that much of a hypocrite. Nobody cares. Mm. And simultaneously with the BLM lady, Facebook blocks New York Post story criticizing BLM. They're still blocking it. They're saying it's doxing. But we can dox, you know, that guy over $10 donation. Sure. Movement for Black Lives, Greenpeace, team up on fossil fuel racism. Let's 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 break it down, but let's do it the right way. You can't have a pate without a pate. Music. I, I fucked that up. Let's try it again. You can't have a pate without pate music. So let's get our pate music going, because it's so good just to listen to these fucking morons come up with the dumbest shit ever simultaneously with a little clown show music. So there we go. So let's see what they say on this. The April 13th report was published with a blaring headline, Fossil Fuel Racism. The executive summary was just as absurd as the headline, Fossil Fuels, Coal, Oil, and Gas Lie at the Heart of the Crisis We Face, Including the Public Health, Racial Injustice, and Climate Change. The report preached that President Joe Biden and Congress have a historic opportunity to improve public health, tackle the climate crisis, and confront systemic racism at the same time by phasing out fossil fuel production and use. Well, I don't know how the fuck that dude's going to drive around his 26 fucking inch rims spinners. That was an old joke. Remember the spinners? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's fucking fantastic. And while we're on climate, let's just play a couple. Look at this shit. They're nonstop, man. It's everything. They're never stopping. They're just going to keep pushing as extreme as they can. That's uh, nature celebrating there. A new documentary reveals the astonishing ways that nature flourished as humans went into lockdown during the pandemic. The Year Earth Changed on Apple TV Plus is narrated by the legendary natural historian Sir David Attenborough. Climate change is reshaping the country's landscape and coastlines. Science is telling us that time for action is quickly running out. The man tasked with combating this emergency and carrying out President Biden's ambitious climate agenda is Michael Regan, the new Environmental Protection Agency administrator. How urgent is our position as far as our climate's concerned? We're facing a a climate crisis. You know, I'm not a very learned man. Sometimes I smell a little bit. Not very good looking. I could Tommy Boy skit this for a little five more minutes. 
But if you're saying the earth got better because we went in COVID and we don't need to go out in the earth anymore, and then saying we're having a crisis at the same time, I'm just some one of those kind of people that say, bullshit. You can't have both. We can't have improved things for a year and then still be in a crisis. Crises are just words, once again, you're using because you want to be able to do drastic things and say, fuck you, Constitution. Shocker, YouTube CEO accepts free expression award from event her platform sponsored. Does that, yeah, that's the lady that started the, if you listen to Ben Shapiro, it's a gateway drug to fucking white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Democrats want feds to block Miami Latinos from hearing conservative radio. Who's the fascist now? Who? Who's the fucking fascist? Twitter promotes using breach data after banning it. I don't even cover it. You already know. Twitter hacked the material policy, didn't seem to apply to cop who donated to Kyle Rittenhouse Defense Fund. Here's a different person. This one's, one's from Norfolk, I showed you. One was a fucking paramedic. And there's another one from New York City that could possibly lose their job because they donated. But the VP can donate to people who murdered motherfuckers. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's... That's really nice. That, 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 you know, it, it, once again, it's just all bullshit. It's all fucking bullshit. Everything about this is fucking bullshit. Joe Biden wants Americans to fund research using body parts from aborted babies. Used to be banned, now we're not. Planned Parenthood still receiving millions in small business pandemic relief. The nation's largest abortion provider continues to enjoy a cash relief Bonanza. So let's do the fucking math on this. We give them $650 million a year that they use for 650,000 chemical abortions against the Hyde Amendment, and they're still getting more money? Really? The Guardian... Genghis Khan, in fact, may have not just been the greatest warrior, but the greatest eco-warrior of all time. That's a real heading. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a real heading. Genghis Khan. Good. Dude on his front porch talking about the flag. Bad. We're in a fucked up world. Stop staring at my breast. Oh, wait. That's where my rank is. So, we've had rank... All over our chests since I left the military in 2005. But now all of a sudden, we're told that women have a problem with it during promotion ceremonies. Hmm. That's interesting. Then we get into the wordsmithing. So last night I watched Drone. You can no longer use unmanned, the FAA said, because anything, unmanned spacecraft, unmanned drone, that is gendering. Then we get this cacophony of fucking dumb shit. 
Biden administration, why are you acting all crazy? Biden administration orders ICBP to stop using terms illegal alien and assimilation. <laughs> the fact is, legally, that is the fucking, f- the li- in a court, that's what you call them. The administration order came in a form of memo sent from leaders of Immigration and Customs Enforcement and Customs and Border Protection. Department of Homeland Security official confirmed to Fox News that several changes are being made. Alien will now be non-citizen or migrant. Alienage will be changed to non-citizenship. Unaccompanied alien children will be non-citizen unaccompanied children. Undocumented alien, illegal alien will be undocumented non-citizen undocumented individual or migrant. Assimilation will be integration or civil integration. Immigrant assimilation will be immigrant integration. Because remember, words matter, my friends. Words matter. You control the words, you control the masses. That's why they do it. And in nowhere has it been more evident, words, narrative, than motherfucking COVID. So we're in Scottsdale, Arizona, and a gentleman told us that if you go like this, means you're double vaccinated. You do that when you meet people. One vaccination, two vaccination. So I've not seen this in Chicago, so I'm starting it in Chicago. So let me know if that's already a thing where you are. Say where you are and if you do it. Double vaccination. But what about liberals? You know, the high information by the science people? In a recent Gallup survey, Democrats did much worse than Republicans in getting the right answer to the fundamental question, what are the chances that someone who gets COVID will need to be hospitalized? The answer is between 1 and 5%. 41% of Democrats thought it was over 50%. Another 28% put the chances at 20 to 49. So almost 70% of Democrats are wildly off on this key question and also have a greatly exaggerated view of the danger of COVID-2 and the mortality rate among children. All of which explains why today the states with the highest share of schools that are still closed are all blue states. So if the right-wing media bubble has to own things like climate change denial, shouldn't liberal media have to answer for, how did your audience wind up believing such a bunch of crap about COVID? (laughs) A... A new report in The Atlantic says the media won't stop putting pictures of the beach on stories about COVID, even though it's looking increasingly like the beach is the best place to avoid it. Sunlight is the best disinfected, and vitamin D is the key to a robust immune system. Texas lifted its COVID restrictions recently, and their infection rates went down in part because of people getting outside to let the sun and wind do their thing. But but to many liberals, that can't be right, because Texas and beach-loving Florida have Republican governors. But life is complicated. I've read that the governor of Florida reads... I I know we like to think of Florida as only middle school teachers on bath salts having sex with their students in front of an alligator. (laughs) 
But apparently the governor is also a voracious consumer of the scientific literature. And maybe that's why he protected his most vulnerable population, the elderly, way better than did the governor of New York. It has always just been bullshit. Here's the hill. Cruz no longer wearing a mask. He's vaccinated, you idiot. Everybody around him is fucking vaccinated. This one's my favorite. Um, we've had a whole bunch of Michigan shit that's been going over the top lately. Um, one of her top aides, Whitner herself, they all went to Florida because it's not locked down. So here's this idiot, because they can do this. They get away with this in the media. You couldn't do it if you're conservative, but you can do it here. Michigan Attorney General blames Republicans and police for COVID spike. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Because Republicans are just super spreaders. Just, they're icky. My department has spent over a year attempting to enforce COVID orders from Governor and DHHS with enormous blowback from county prosecutors, sheriffs, and police chiefs all over the state, not to mention Republic office holders who encourage defiance at every fucking turn. The result is that our state now finds itself in the unenviable but predictable position of having the worst rates of new infections in the nation. I have long compared this situation to that of a serial murderer on the loose. But instead of helping to track down the killer, law enforcement announces that efforts by the government to have residents lock their doors and windows is a tyrannical action. If we were not elected to save lives of our constituents, why are we in office? A lot of us are asking those questions. Why are you in office? I continue to hope and pray that those in positions of authority will spend more time working together to combat the virus and less time fighting with each other as she fights with Republicans and law enforcement. Hmm. Interesting. Very, very interesting. She can get away with that. Oregon, though, thousands of Oregonians openly hostile to Democratic governor's permanent mask mandate based on zero fucking data. There's no data to prove it. Just just doing it because it's control. Control the words, control masks, control everything. You control people. And that's all they want is control. They don't want to improve your lives. They don't give a fuck about black people. They don't give a fuck about anything. They care about power and control. I mean, Jesus Christ, NBC News. Chile has one of the world's world's best vaccination rates. COVID is surging there anyway. And I had an article that I'm not going to read, but it was a huge article on all they do is negative news. They're trying to reinforce the Biden administration's play to have everything be a crisis so they can once again say, fuck you, Constitution, we'll do whatever the fuck we want. And nobody stops them. Which brings us to our This is America. This is a really good one. I really like it. Because this is what the media can do. But remember, they're not the misinformation spreaders. It's people like me in a basement that needs to be silenced. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now.
It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. Over the past century in American politics, it was Republicans who were dependably the anti-Soviet hawks, accusing Democrats of being soft on communism. No one could have predicted the role reversal over the past five years. Then President Donald Trump was silent when Navalny was poisoned, while our allies condemned the Kremlin. And he essentially condoned the annexation of Crimea, all part of an extensive pattern of refusing to confront Russia. Trump's defenders and right-wing media were all too happy to parrot his project and deflect talking points, scapegoating Ukraine despite overwhelming evidence that Russia interfered in our elections on his behalf, as confirmed by the Bipartisan Senate Intel Committee report. It was all lies, literally all of it, even the core claims about hacking that formed the basis of the entire story and the investigation that followed. All lies. Well, the Russia hoax became an all-purpose deflection to attack the media and Democrats in an orgy of whataboutism. And if that sounds overstated, consider this. Fox News aired the phrase Russia hoax at least 877 times. All right, I changed clothes. No, I didn't. I produced it and everything worked. These new sound bites worked great. Everything was good. Somehow the ending of me speaking got dumped. So to that comment, 877 times. We don't even know how many times you guys said Russia, but that's our media. From front of this podcast to the back. It's all lies. You can't believe a fucking thing they say. You call it on them, or you call them out. They just throw a fit. And that sums it up. We talk about disinformation. You go through the history of Trump. From Russia hoax, to Afghanistan, to Russian bounties. You do the math, boys and girls. They made stuff up. And with Sysnik now, Maxine Waters, come on. Come on. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com to get the video and audio. You can get back episodes also there with links to Rumble and SoundCloud. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. I hope this comes out with audio because it would be the first perfect one in a while. But we've cured it, and I hope you tune back in. On Saturday, 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 24 April, year of our Lord, 2021, for our next show. As always, thanks for listening. Take care.